Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Drivers, start your engines! Get the pace car! What for? Because you hit any other damn thing out there, I want you to be perfect! When I'm driving, I got a guy on the radio who talks to me. It's him. He talks to me. Good evening, race fans. Welcome to the Hoobazoo Radio Network and welcome to the Drafting the Circus program. My name is Frank Santoroski. I'll be your host for the next hour as we talk about everything racing. Joining me in the studio, as always, I have Richard Uden and Louise Torres. Fellas, what's up? Hey, how's it going? Been going good. Back going, home. Going back home from uh, Sonoma. And we'll uh, dig into that a bit. But I do want to I do want to lead off with this uh, Formula One race in Azerbaijan at the Baku Circuit. Um, you know, this race has been on the calendar for a, for a few years now. And I distinctly remember the first time they had it, uh, I was sitting here looking up, uh, how to pronounce Azerbaijan so I could say it's, uh, on the air. And when I realized we could just call it Baku, a little easier to get out of your mouth. Um, but I, golly, this has become one of my favorite races. It just, you know, the, the, the circuit itself, uh, the picturesque scenery and, and sometimes the, uh, just the nature of the unpredictable nature of this race, uh, which we saw again uh, here. So we have, here we are two Grands Prix in a row that finished up with no Mercedes drivers on the podium. Uh, We had um, Sergio Perez winning the race. Now Sergio Perez now has the distinction of being the only driver in the hybrid era to win with two different teams. Read that two earlier. Engine today. manufacturers. Is it two different teams or two different engine manufacturers? Well, two different teams because he was racing point now. He's Red Bull. Yeah. Yeah. Ricardo has said done it yet with McLaren. No. I thought it was two different engine manufacturers rather than two different teams. I'm trying to think who else could have won with two different teams. Uh well, you could you could think about that for a moment. Yeah. Um yeah, could be both. Could be both. But anyway, so we did get to see have the 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 age-old theoretical question uh answered. What would happen if Formula One had a green white checker? <laughs> so we kind of kind of found that out. Um, and again, just uh, the race. I mean, there's a lot to unpack here talking about this race. So, Richard, I'll just I'll just let you uh, lead it off. We had just a lot of things happen. Um, uh, we had some controversial calls with uh, did we get the safety car out fast enough or were we too slow? Should we red flag? Should we just end the race? Um <laughs> You know, Lewis, Lewis Hamilton had a shot at winning and pissed that away. But uh, Richard, take it away. Yeah. I mean, don't we all hate road courses? They're terrible. There's boring. Nothing ever happens. They're just processional races in Formula One, like Singapore and Monaco and back. Oh, no, wait. No. Uh, it's fantastic, isn't it? It's such a great place to go. It's 
it's an awesome circuit. And, and one of the things that makes it so hard and a, a good sort of differentiator for the teams is the setup's really difficult. You've got half the lap is like a Singapore or a Monaco, and then the other half is like a Monza uh, or a Spa or something. So you've got this high downforce, low downforce conundrum, basically, from a car setup point of view. And I think it's becoming more and more amplified now because the cars are getting closer in terms of outright performance. It's, it's where do you find these little differentiations between the two? And you're really struggling to find that in all fairness. And that's why you see, you know, suddenly a, a Mercedes drop off and maybe a Ferrari resurgence or something, you know, th there's such fine lines here that if your car isn't perfectly in tune to a specific circuit, they're going to struggle. Now, in these years where in the turbo hybrid era where um, Mercedes have been so dominant, it has been um, you know, easier for them to cope at circuits like this because, you know, th they can be off the pace a little bit because everybody else is so behind. They've been able to get away with it. And we've seen in the last two races, as I say, you know, Monaco and Azerbaijan. And there needs to be a little asterisk next to these, obviously, because they are street circuits. So they are unique. And, you know, we don't know what's going to happen when we get back to a conventional track should we say so uh, there is that uh, caveat to it but uh, you know the whole weekend again um, you know Mercedes was struggling and both Bottas and Hamilton were were never really near the top of the times in practice and you know you have to take your hat off to to Lewis Hamilton to put a car that certainly didn't deserve to be where it was uh, in, in in your second place on the grid now as you mentioned earlier, though, Frank, you know, there are the worst certain circumstances during qualifying, especially with red flags, which probably prevented, um, you know, some drivers getting a full run out there and, you know, getting real lap times on the board. And, you know, Bottas did give Hamilton a toe for his quick lap and maybe um, Verstappen missed out on his toe for his lap and Leclerc, who for second week in the row put the Ferrari on pole, he got a good toe for his lap. So, you know, it wasn't a, maybe a true reflection of the outright pace of the teams, but, uh, you know, still a, a stellar lap by Hamilton there. And he did pull that one out the bag. Um, no, I think I think qualifying lasted at least an hour and a half, maybe even a little bit longer. Numerous red flag instances. Um, and it did make it difficult. Lando Norris got caught out by one. A red flag came on just as he was about to get to the pit lane entry. And, he didn't pit. He stayed out, uh, which is a, a, a major infraction in any form of motorsport. If there's a red flag, the first thing you do is come down pit lane. And if it's in a position where the driver can't react, that's understandable. But, I mean, he had time to come on the radio and say, oh, do I come into the pits or do I stay out? And this is told him to stay out. So he had time, I think, to come in there. So that I personally, I know there's been a lot of backlash from McLaren towards the FIA there and the race series, but I think he was just about to get that penalty in that instance. Um, so then onto the uh, onto the race itself, um, you know, it started started the race reasonably well. Everybody's reasonably well behaved in, in many ways. Uh, nothing crazy. Few, you know, um, Hamilton managed to you know make a good start. Leclerc started to drop back through the pack as you'd probably expect. Um, and, and then you got into a position where Verstappen and Perez, you know, got into a one-two with Hamilton sitting third. And arguably Perez could have taken the lead on the round of pit stops because his in-lap was phenomenal. 
but he had a slow pit stop. I think that probably cost him a second or two. So he could have got pretty close to getting ahead of Verstappen on the regular pit stops. Um, and then the, the race was just, you know, a good race. And it was sort of, you know, a few guys on alternate strategies there. Sebastian Vettel was one of them that was looking pretty good. And Lance Stroll had stayed out on <coughs> hard tyres for quite a while, I think, there. And then suddenly, it was just past mid-race, Stroll had a tyre failure uh, on probably one of the fastest part of the track there. And, uh, you know, it was a big lick. He hit the wall pretty hard. And uh, I'm sure it knocked the wind out of him a little bit. Um and it was an instantaneous tyre failure. It wasn't a, like a slow puncture or a delamination. The carcass, so the, 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 by the looks of the photographs, the surface of the tyre was still intact. So it, it almost looks like it's failed on the shoulder of the tyre. Uh, and it's difficult to tell. It, it, it's obviously very, very difficult to tell without, uh, you know, analysing the tyre. But, yeah, uh, but but certainly it was, I mean, to the, to the viewer watching the race, it was obviously... Instantaneous. I mean that that that, oh, yeah. that car just took a, a wild jerk and then it was out of control. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 to, and to your point, yeah, he slapped the wall a ton. Oh yeah, and you know these teams now in the cars, they have all ty- they all, all have pressure sensors on the tires, and the team would have seen in the real time telemetry if there was a slow puncture, and the driver would have seen it because he would have got a, a warning on the dash. Instantaneous tire failure, pitched him in the wall, safety car, all that sort of um, business. Then on the restart from that, everything seemed to be, um, you know, settling back down into, um, you know, the routine that you'd expect. And it looked like Verstappen was just coasting to a win. And then coasting to a very easy win. Yep. Four or five laps to go. Exactly the same thing appeared to happen to uh, Verstappen there. And the slight difference here was that Verstappen's failure was further down the main straight and his car came to rest opposite the pit box or the pit lane on the start finish line there on the grid and the teams would have to you know the, the safety cars to stay out would have to go through the pit lane and and they don't like doing that for you know it, it's not a hundred percent safe you don't you want to try and avoid the cars going down pit lane as much as possible so they made the decision to stop the race with two laps to go which is and, an extreme rarity in formula one yes I yeah, mean, I mean, they're, very they're... rarely do you have a red flag. I mean, <laughs> exactly. in the last 10 years, you've probably had it 10 times. I know there's a couple of, I think Magello last year had two, was it? Um, yeah, Magello had two, yeah. Yeah, but that, that's Monza highly unusual, yeah. But, I mean, it's, you know, you can count on one hand the number you have a season, you know, typically. And, I mean, in the past, you only used to have it, you, were in the, you know, back in the day, you only used to have a red flag when there was either damage to the circuit, like a barrier got knocked out, or a driver needed medical attention, like an ambulance or a helicopter. You know, it was never, you'd never see a red flag for something that happened. Um, or a lap know, one to, crash. Yeah. You know, yeah, well, well, occasionally, okay, I, I remember a few here and there for just uh, like torrential weather. Yeah. But, but I mean, but, yeah. But, but, 2010, wasn't it? I think when uh, I was thinking were. even earlier. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking yeah. even earlier in the 80s, but uh, that shows my age. On the whole. On the whole, on the whole red there. flags are r- rather rare. Yeah, in, yeah. Uh, yeah. There's been so, 75 ever in Formula One compared to NASCAR. There's been like over two to 300 in Cup in yeah. the past 30 years. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, it's a rarity. But in this instance, I felt it was justified. Um, you know, you don't want to have the cars 
going through pit lane, you know, numerous times. And there was no reason why once the, the debris from um, Verstappen's wreck hadn't been cleared, that you couldn't restart the race. You know, there's no reason whatsoever. So uh, the new rule in Formula 1 that was introduced a couple of years ago is that post-red flag, it's now a standing start. Um, actually, it could be at the discretion of the stewards. I think there is a, there, it is open to judgment, that one. But, uh, yeah, standing start. And it was a two-lap shootout. You know, basically, as you said earlier there, you know, the, the, the Formula 1 version of a green-white checker. And um, you had Perez on, in air quotations, pole position with, um, you know, Hamilton in second. You had Vettel up there on his alternate strategy. Gasly had a great, strong race up there. Um, Leclerc was up there. And, you know, a slightly jumbled pack. You know, Bottas was still down in the pack there. He'd been struggling all weekend. Um, and we, you know, you're thinking, well, here's uh, Verstappen going to extend his point lead in his championship to, to, to almost like 10, 15 points, whatever it would have been. And now... You know Hamilton's in prime position to uh, to win the race. You know, get past Perez at the start and um, go on and win and, and win the race, which would have been I don't want to use the word undeserved, but it would have been you know a, a certain amount of luck to achieve that. Now, you know, to come back to the restart of the race, the, the car the, the cars left pit lane behind the safety car, pulled into their grid slots as they would on a normal start, and then it's a very short run. At Baku from the start finish line to the first corner and Hamilton got a great start he actually the first thing that everybody noticed was how much steam or how much smoke was coming off his brakes sat on the line brakes were incredibly hot and jumped off the line got a great start got ahead of Perez on the start and as Hamilton went to break for turn one he had the inside line which was the optimum line for that corner and then he just front wheels locked up no rear brakes and just went straight on into the exit to, um, to exit of turn one there. Uh, Perez, you know, hell station, everybody sort of was, was pretty well behaved behind him for, for those two laps. So Perez takes his first win for, uh, for Red Bull. And um, you ended up with uh, Vettel getting his first podium at Aston Martin and Gasly, you know, getting his, you know, second or third or fourth podium in the last two seasons, I think it was. So, well, yeah, um, but I, yeah, I think great. I think the one thing you failed to mention right there, those two last laps, um, Gasly and Leclerc had a heck of a battle, swapping positions back and forth. Yeah, it was really. Oh uh, yes, it, yeah, it, it was. It was really. It was thrilling to watch because you know, generally speaking, when we watch a Formula One race, towards the cars are really spread out. Yeah, at the end, yeah. and, and and but but this here, you know, going going to the. Uh, for, for the checkers, for position in the last two laps yeah. of the race, you know, with the field bunched up. I mean, it was just, you know, I, I don't know who and, was going to come out of there with no. the podium for a while because both and, of those guys a, were side, uh, aggressive, yeah. And as a side note to that, which you're very right there, Frank, you were some fan. You know, Norris almost got in on the act as well there. Um, but, you know, all of that was without DRS because DRS hadn't been re-enabled post-restart. So... Um, you know, all of that jostling for position coming down that mile and a half long straight they have at Baku there was purely on driver and car tyre aero performance. So, yeah, thrilling stuff at the end of the race. And, um, you know, great, in a way, a bittersweet day for Red Bull, obviously fantastic for Checo to get that win. And, you know, he's put, we, we talked about this a lot on the show in the past, how Checo needed to step up. 
And these last two races, especially Baku, he's really done that. You know, good qualifying. He was in the way. He was the rear gunner that Verstappen needed. He did exactly what he was. Basically, he did what he was being paid to do. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Yeah, and, he did, and he did a fine job of it. And then when, when Max and he took advantage, yeah, yeah then when Max wasn't able to finish the race, he was right there, justly rewarded exactly. for his uh, for his fine drive during the day. Uh, and, and unfortunately, that isn't something Albon would have been able to have done. Oh, it didn't do in the opportunities that he had. Uh, you know, he was never there to pick up the pieces, and you know that was ultimately why um, Albon, you know, got released or you know lost his seat in that uh, Red Bull. So. There's a lot of you know very interesting takeaways. Um, you know the tire well, the, issue. The, the, the biggest thing uh, for me is the fact that uh, uh, you know thanks to Lewis cooking the brakes there, uh, you know Verstappen got away with one there, and there was no movement at the top of the order since both first and second yeah. places points failed to score points. So uh, yeah, so yeah, he uh, he he dodged a bullet there. Oh, without a doubt, and you know number of things to say. You know from a technical and a racing side. The, the two perceived tire failures by Pirelli were interesting. Now, Pirelli have said that it was caused, their initial assessment is that it's caused by damage to the tire. So, you know, you're looking at, um, you know, debris on the track, shards of carbon fiber, um, you know, tearing the surface of the tire and causing the instantaneous delamination and, and failure of the tire. Um, it's very, very difficult to say. You know, there's lots of data that Pirelli and the teams will have available. To them, so they've obviously got to be very careful and make the correct decision and make correct announcement. The, you know, Verstappen was very vocal that it was a Pirelli issue. Um, they were on a slightly softer compound retire to what they've run in the past there. Um, but even, you know, even though they were on a, a, a softer compound, you know, the tyre wear was still relatively minimal. And... The problem they have is the drop-off just isn't significant enough for teams to look to do multiple pit stops. You know, it's been a one-stop race. I, I, of the, what, six races we've had, so six or seven races we've had so far this season, probably four of them have been one-stop races off the top of my head. You know, yeah, Spain not, not could many have been. more than that. Yeah, Spain could have been, but Hamilton went on a two-stop because he had to do something to get ahead of Verstappen. Monaco was a one-stop. Baku has been a one-stop. So, you know, you need, I mean, my personal preference is a, a two, two, three stop race, you know, really make the strategy guys work on this. And the problem is the, 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 the penalty from doing a two stop race is so severe that the teams are more likely to nurse the tires to the end of the race than they are to, you know, make that extra stop. So I think you've got to change that. I think they've really got to look at the tires and say, look, okay, the tires are going to be great. You know, these are going to be tires you can lean on, you can push, you can be aggressive on, have a clear, you know, separation of compounds. You know, you suit your softest compound tire can do five to 10 laps at the start of a race. Then your mediums are 10 to 15, and your hards are 15 to 20 or whatever. But you could never take a hard tire 
more than 25 laps before it starts falling apart. So then it forces teams to do two or three stops during the race. And I think that would add the dynamic to it. And it's not making the sport a lottery. It's just giving the team something else to consider and something else to work on. Yeah, so I, I tend to I tend to agree with you. Yeah, because I th- always thought that, you know, some tire degrada- degradation um, leads to a pretty interesting race, you know, because you've got, you know, some some differing uh, uh, thoughts there on how to how to manage that. And, yeah. and, and you got you got guys there who are fantastic at managing their tires and, and other guys who will just burn them up. Yeah, so, I mean, so Perez, yeah, put, puts you know, a lot in the driver's hands. Yeah, you look at Perez back when he was at Sauber, what, almost 10 years ago now. He was notorious. I remember, was it Monza? He did like almost 90% of the race on a single set of tires and got a podium out of nothing in a Sauber that shouldn't have been there, really. And that's what earned him that move to McLaren when, um, I think it was when Lewis left, wasn't it? He, he went there and was a teammate to, to Jensen for a season and it didn't quite work out for him, unfortunately. But I think it's great, you know, he's got the opportunity and he's really grasped it. And that was that was fantastic. But talking about Lewis, I think the we've really seen in the last I'd say six months how Toto Wolf goes about his man management of his drivers. He's been very, very critical of George Russell on a number of occasions. Um to a certain extent, warranted. To a certain extent, in my opinion, not so much. They he criticized. You know, he, the back end of last year, he said that you know, for Russell to get a top seat, he needs to cut out the mistakes. Well, Russell would have won in the short track at Bahrain if Mercedes, if they hadn't made mistakes. So that was not on George at all. You know, so I thought that was a little bit uncalled for, should we say? Then Valtteri obviously had his issues at. Monaco with his wheel nut basically being machined onto the rim and you know Toto turned well Valtteri stopped short of his marks I mean I haven't looked at the video to measure it but it's centimeters at most that he stopped short so if you are you know no driver is good enough to get that exactly that right all the time and if they can't cope with you know that sort of um, issue then they've got a problem I know I'll tell you this much, the, the pit stop simulator that Williams have, you can program into it stopping short, stopping long, stopping with the wheels turned, stopping you know too far to the right, too far to the left. So the pit stop guys can practice all of these things. So I thought that was a very unfair public criticism of Valtteri there. And Valtteri, in all fairness to him, bit back a little bit and went, yeah, you know what? No, I'm not taking that, you know? So... Yeah, I was quite pleased. Yeah, I don't blame it. That's that's all either on the the pit crew guys or or the pit equipment. Yeah, you can't pin that on the driver. Although it's my understanding that Lewis's brake failure on the on the restart there, Baku. That that was Valtteri's fault. Oh yeah, exactly. (laughs) Valtteri is the new Ericsson. When it's ironic, it's a Baku when we come to that realization. But it was it was you know Hamilton made a mistake. You know. He so Mercedes have this thing that's been coined the magic button, which is ridiculous. You know, basically what it is is it's a button that automatically moves the brake bias to the front of the car, and in the turbo hybrid areas where you have the regenerative braking and the harvesting of power into the um, battery system, you can't use traditional brake 
you know, direct brake linkage. So you can't have a pedal with a master cylinder and a brake bias bar and all that sort of stuff. It would just be undrivable because you'd suddenly have huge amounts of retardation and nothing as the uh, regenerative system charged the battery. So it's all done electronically now. And that allows the teams to be pretty smart with some of the brake bias, brake bias works. And Mercedes have this button that on the formation lap or under a safety car period, the driver will press this button, which is on the back of the steering wheel, and allows all the brake bias to the front of the, the car in a brake bias configuration that you'd never race under. And it puts all of the heat into the front brakes, and internally that increases the uh, bulk temperature of the tyre, which will increase the tyre temperature at the front as well. So an optimum set of circumstances. Now, I'm sure all the teams do this. Now, whether they've got a button to do it automatically or they just ask the drivers to keep adjusting the bias till it's to the front, I don't know. But what appears to have happened is come the restart, Hamilton has pressed this button, um, you know, before the car before the car's took off or at some point he either didn't disengage it or he re-engaged it, re-enabled it by accident. I mean, it was accident for sure. Um, and because he throws away potentially a race win, and potentially, you know, a huge jump in the in the drivers' championship standings, and a huge jump in the constructors' championship standings, um, and you know, come the end of the season, that could be a massive mistake that he made. However, I have not heard or read any sort of criticism coming out of Toto towards Lewis Hamilton on that. You know, it's all been about how the teams underperform. Well, come on, Toto. You, if you want to make it any more obvious where your loyalties lie, just write it on a post-it note and slap it to your forehead. You know, it... <laughs> yeah, it is, I mean, it's a, it's other almost, teams have done it. Yeah, it's almost like Ferrari-esque with shoot. I mean, Ferrari just didn't, blatantly didn't hide it. You know, Mercedes is at least a little bit coy about it, and I'm sure if Bottas was leading a race and Hamilton was second, they wouldn't try and pull, like, you know, what Ferrari did in Austria back in the day or at uh, Indy. <coughs> Or even um, when Massa and Alonso were a team. Yeah, exactly. Um, <coughs> I don't think they try and pull it to that extent. But it is clear that, you know, there is this situation where Hamilton is number one and he can't make mistakes. He's never Now, you could argue that with George Russell, it's a little bit of tough love, you know, um, you know hardening him a little bit with public criticism. Maybe, maybe not. Um, you can argue that Valtteri is a very tough character you know he has that scandinavian mentality you know and it'll just bounce off him yeah that, i think is, that's why i think that's why total uses him as a punching bag yeah yeah you, you know because he is is lewis a little bit more sensitive does lewis take public criticism as well i i don't know maybe maybe toto's scared of publicly criticizing hamilton because he knows that hamilton is his golden boy and if he turns around and says, oh, well, Lewis made a mistake and it cost the team dearly and, you know, Lewis has to take responsibility that he's let the team down or something along those lines, which is if it had been Valtteri, I'm almost certain he would turn around and have said, you know, maybe he wouldn't have got that positive reaction out of, um, uh, you know, Hamilton if he'd said that. I, I, I don't know, but it's, it's starting to wear a little bit thin and it's becoming very obvious. It's become very regular. And, you know, Christian Horner did that with Alex Albon at Red Bull last year. And, you know, unfortunately for Alex, no disrespect, you know, it was justified, you know, because he was underperforming. 
Is Valtteri underperforming because he stopped short in his pit box by two centimetres? No. Is George Russell underperforming because he tried to pass Valtteri in a, you know, a, I would still to my mind a 50-50 at Imola? No. You know, I, I just, I, I'm very, very, very disappointed with the language and the um, treatment that, that Toto is putting onto his drivers. Um and I think he's going to have to be very, very, very careful because for so long he's had everything his own way. And we're starting to see a changing of the guard here with, you know, Red Bull becoming a threat, McLaren becoming a threat with the same engine. You know, the worst thing that you can happen as a constructor is a customer team beating you because you've got the same engine in the back of the car and these guys are doing better than you. So that points your finger solely at a chassis department. So... There's a lot they need to be very, very, very careful of, and I Absolutely. think um, I think I think Toto's got he's playing he's playing a dangerous game here. I agree. Now, before we move away from talking about uh, Baku, Louise, I want to get your thoughts uh, on the race because I know you've uh, you've got a couple of things that you want to mention here. You are the uh, you are the the king of red flag statistics. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, let's uh, let's get your thoughts on this race before we move on and start uh, talking about other stuff. Honestly, I was rather surprised that Red Bull kind of quote-unquote were convincing the FIA, or I don't want to say politicking, but get in the FIA's year to stop the race because you're, you're looking at it, yeah, it's unfortunate, it's maddening that a 1-2 was taken away by odd circumstances with Pirelli's tire not looking too prominent. But I was thinking at that moment, it's like, why would you want to stop the race? Would you at least be content that your driver Perez would win the race? They don't have to worry about anything else but they stopped the race assuming maybe they want that one to because of the the two lap rule where if the race was over the three to go they'll go back to five to go the running order as it was for five to go then somebody was telling me that they probably would have been Verstappen would have probably not won it because of it when the accident took place or some did stuff Verstappen, like that here's a, here's a question did Verstappen with three wheels on his car cross the start finish line I don't think I don't think he did, no, did he? No. It was a pit entry by the time his car laid the rest. Yeah. Okay, so, so no, re- real quick here. Okay, explain this rule to me. So if we have a, a red flag with less than two to go. Or 75% distance have been completed, or any red flag in general where they cannot restart the race under any circumstances. Right, so, so if we were to end the race right there, you said they revert scoring five laps prior? Two laps prior. Two laps prior, okay. I'm which- saying... Which have could probably- have, which could have realistically resulted in Verstappen winning the race. Essentially, but depending on when the red when they came in and the red flag and the safety car and all of that, Verstappen made up not won it. It's weird and confusing, confusing in that regard. But at that point, I'm thinking you're gonna put you're gonna either a genius or a flaw for Red Bull. A genius in a way because it will give Perez a shot to prove his worth as all by himself, dealing with Lewis Hamilton in a standing start. And in that start, Hamilton had him beat, but he cooked it. Hamilton. Obviously, you saw what happened that make Mark Webber scream like a little girl <laughs> on the <laughs> channel four. Oh, but, poor Mark Webber. <laughs> yeah, that was that was interesting, but I get I I was thinking to myself, like, why would you want to stop the race and maybe restart it? I understand yeah. why over 
yeah, that was the confusing part because I that's where Gasly said the comment that the the, the U.S. took over because that's the kind of stuff you see in NASCAR or even IndyCar at Belle Isle in 2019 when Rosenquist wrecked with like what six or five laps to go. They stopped the race. They restarted with three to go because you don't see red flags this deep in a race and actually resume because if they red flag at this point, nine times out of 10, the race will be done because the 75, 75% distance have been completed. Yeah. I was very surprised to see Fremont restart with two to go, but I, I was, I was happy to see it because my God, yeah. it was fun to watch. No, it was I worth it. I personally think that the reason Red Bull were lobbying because they thought the race wouldn't be restarted. I think they thought, okay, they're going to red flag it too to get, yeah, we're not going to restart this. There was no reason not to restart it. And just because it was two laps to go, you, I mean, even if there was one lap to go, you still restart it. Um, yeah, yeah, plenty of laps. It wasn't bad weather or anything. It wasn't bad light. There was nothing to stop you from, from restarting the race. So, I think they made the right call and I think they need to do it in some ways more often because I think that, I mean, so I would rather I would end it under a safety car then I would personally like to see them, you know, restart safety cars from a standing start because I have a, you look at what happened at, um, last year, Magello, Magello, last yeah. year where, you know, there's this concertina effect, and it's getting worse. You know, you, there's other two things I think that Formula 1 need to do under the safety car. One, you need to have a standing restart, or you have a restart zone like they do in NASCAR. And for all the criticisms I think NASCAR has, I think the, the restart, and I mentioned it on this show before, a restart zone is probably the, the one thing that Formula 1 could look at and go, okay, this is a good idea. Because, you know... Baku is the prime example. And I think, you know, what first triggered this in my mind was a couple of years ago, there was a safety car restart. And because you got this such a long straight prior to the restart, um, and these cars accelerate so fast, the the safety car has almost got to be in the pit lane before they restart. So that they, you know, because obviously you cannot overtake the safety car on a restart. So, you, you know, the driver, the, the driver who's restarting first has to back the pack up massively while still trying to warm his tires and his brakes. So he's weaving and stopping and starting and doing all this sort of stuff. And a lot of times the guys behind are trying to second guess him. And he's got a, you know, probably his team are coaching him on when he can go based on where the safety car is and his rate of acceleration. I mean, they've probably got software that do this all for them now as well. But... I, I don't think I think that you you could well see more situations like we saw in um, Magella last year, especially as we're having more and more safety cars. Uh, you know, because you know you remember watching these races 10, 15, 20 years ago. You very rarely have a safety car. You know, no, it was. I mean, and even that, that prior to that, the safety car didn't even exist. No, it wasn't until the mid nineties or early nineties that the safety car came into effect and. You know, it could be like a Fiat Punto or something that was a safety car. You know, at least they've got a decent car now, which can go at a decent speed. But, you know, in the last few years, you, especially with the virtual, virtual safety car and obviously post the, the tragic accident there with Jules Bianchi, um, you know, they're trying to, to do this more and more, you know, to protect the corner workers and the marshals and, and people like that. You know, you've got to do that, undoubtedly. Um, 
So, yeah, I, I'd, it'd be interesting to look at the, the, the figures and the number of, of safety cars per season over the last 20 or 30 years or so, um, you know, because I'm sure the frequency has increased massively. And, uh, yeah, it'd be interesting to look at that. And uh, I do think you're going to have more and more instances like this. And I wouldn't be adverse to having a standing restart post-safety car. Yeah, I mean, yeah, for years and years, you know, Formula One was you had the local yellow. You know, it wasn't until, you know, they double waved yellow, you know. Yeah, yeah, the double wave yellows. But, you know, there was I mean, there was a time where, you know, a a yellow flag or caution period was something that was specific to American style racing. Um, But I guess they they did finally come around to realizing the, you know, the safety aspect of of slowing the cars down while they while they do some cleanup on the course. So, yeah, now um, the next race on the schedule is. So Gilles, Gilles Villeneuve. Nope. Nope. Is that canceled? Yeah, that, that was canceled. canceled a while back. It was supposed that's to be what, That's Turkey. what I thought. Yeah, as I'm looking at, I'm looking at the schedule. Yeah, it was supposed to be Montreal. Then it was yeah, it says Sunday, June 13th, Montreal. I said, I'm pretty sure nobody's yeah, entering no. Canada right now. So, And nope. it was supposed to be Turkey. Now we're going to France in a couple of weeks. Yeah, All so right, now so we're going to France. And then we've got an Austria. So we're doing three weeks in a row. France, Austria, Austria, I think, is the schedule, isn't it? I believe you're right on the money on that one because so it's yeah. like twentieth, twenty seventh, and fourth of July or something along those lines. Sounds right, about so, right. So we have a week off coming up. Now yeah. this this week coming up, we will have uh, uh, the Indy cars will be in Detroit, and the um, Cup Series will have their All Star race. The Cup Series will have the All Star race. Yeah, we'll, we'll start talking about Cup here in a little bit when we get your report from Sonoma. But yep. just uh, just a couple of Indy car notes. We're going to Detroit. They have. Uh, uh, Santino Ferrucci has been added uh, to the doubleheader in a third Ray Hall car. Uh, I guess they were happy enough with his performance at Indianapolis that uh, uh, High V, uh, which is a grocery store chain, has signed on to sponsor him for the doubleheader. So uh, good for him. And that's a guy I enjoy uh, watching drive an Indy car more than I like in the Xfinity because he seemed to struggle a little bit. But uh, that'll be good oh, to see him there. Uh- in fairness, with the Xfinity, it's the first time adapting to stock cars. The second of all, is Sam Hunt Racing's first dabble of full-time competition in Xfinity because they were a part-time team the year prior. They even shut down temporarily because of the pandemic, but only to come back stronger than ever. But the Santino's next race will be at Pocono. That's what he said to the press at Indy 500 Media Day. And he enjoy, he's enjoying it. In fact, Oh yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not knocking the guy. Oh, I, I just, I, I just, I enjoy him in IndyCar. I mean, no, he's, for uh, sure. Yeah, he's, oh, a, totally. he's, a, no, no, he's made, made some bold move and has some great drives here. And and he, generally speaking, you know, for for a guy who's got a bit of a bad bad rap, um, he's a, actually a pretty clean driver. You know, yeah, very bold. Unless you're unless you're Connor Daly, of course, then you will probably not say clean <laughs> after oh, car day. Yeah, yeah. But uh, so well, anyway, a um, couple other IndyCar notes before we make some picks for Detroit. And, and Louise, I'll let you continue your thought there in a second. But um, okay. Romain Grosjean has announced that he's going to add an oval to his schedule. Uh, he said that he had uh, had some time to spend there at Indianapolis while they were during the month of May. And, and I guess the, the lure of Indy has uh, kind of got him to say, yeah, I'd like to run this next year. Uh, you know, you know the, the lure of Indy is strong. Uh, it really is because it's so... Uh, uh, you know, it's so historic. It's, um, you know, the, uh, the, you know, some folks consider the place hallowed ground, you know, uh, 
But uh, but either way, um, so Groshan's going to add Gateway to his schedule to get his uh, you know, get his feet wet on an oval. But but I will say this for Groshan, it's 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 kind of really uh, neat to me anyway as I read through social media comments and whatnot that the um, the IndyCar fans have really warmed up to this guy. Everybody has like nothing but uh, you know good things to say about Grosjean for the most part. So uh, I'm sure that's uh, that's got him feeling pretty good. I'm sure that's got him feeling rather welcome. The fact that he adds wants to add another race to his plan here, um, you know, and he's had some good results. Um, I think that he's uh, really fitting in and enjoying it very well. Yeah, for sure, he's really enjoying it. Also gives him a chance. Like he's mentioned, he's never felt this confident about a season since probably the Lotus days of Formula One, or even when he was in GP2, now Formula Two, that he has felt confident about being competitive. And him going to Gateway, I know Rookie of the Year may be out of reach because McLaughlin's running the whole season compared to Johnson and Grosjean rolling all but the Obels. But who's to say if Grosjean has a strong doubleheader weekend? May I, I wouldn't be surprised if he actually wins one. I'm not sure how, but it's probable because if there's a team that could probably get it done I, at any point, it's Dale Coyne. Yeah, Dale Coyne has that ability to pull a rabbit out of the hat every now and again. They, they really do. I mean, look, it's a, a you know, Bordet's won a couple with them. Justin Wilson, uh, my god, um, <laughs> Carlos Huertes, <laughs> um, Mike Conway. I've all won races with Dale Coyne. So, yeah, it's uh, Dale is not out of the mix by, you know, by any stretch of the imagination because IndyCar, the field is deep and it is competitive. So, yeah. Um, and, and, I, okay, go ahead. Yeah. And I think like and we even talked about a little bit off the year that if if you probably want to give India a go eventually, Gateway is not the it's probably a good place to start off in a way. Kind of like at a, at a qualifying session of Rockham I watched yet last night a little bit. If you want to run Daytona, Rockingham is probably one of the tracks you need to do first before you go big time as far as the tracks is concerned. So I feel like Gateway is definitely the ideal choice. It's obviously the only oval race we got left. Yeah, it's only, yeah the only one left, yeah. But might it, might be a doubleheader is what we're hearing. Could be. It could was be a doubleheader. Yeah, the <laughs> Gateway and or um, Mid-Ohio may become a doubleheader to replace the canceled round in Toronto. Or option three is we just run a 16-race season. So IndyCar is uh, close to making a decision there, but uh, nothing official yet. No, nothing official quite yet in that regard. I feel like if you want to add a little bit more variety, you, I go with Gateway. Mid-Ohio doesn't hurt for sure to have a doubleheader. But I feel like if you want to add some value to those ovals, buffer it up with a doubleheader at Gateway again, it, it won't hurt, honestly. No, I want to say, you know, Mid-Ohio's got a pretty good slate of support races out there as well. So, but but most of these oval races can use, you know, a few more things to, to just to kind of round out the uh, downtime in the schedules at an oval event. And, um, you know, to, to, to your point, uh, Gateway was pretty successful to doubleheader last year. Yeah, it worked out, worked out quite well, unless your name is Oliver Askew and Zach Veach last time. But it's worked out for, it worked out good. It doesn't hurt to have more ovals, even if it's the same circuit like it was with Texas. It won't hurt to have another one. No. All right. So with that being said, before we move on and talk about the race in Sonoma, let's go ahead and we'll let, let's pick us uh, two winners a piece for Detroit. So, Richard, who do you like for race one and race two in Detroit? Oh, boy. Let's go with 
Yeah, it could be anybody, couldn't it? Uh, but let's go with Dixon and New Garden. All right, and Louise? I'm going to go with Herda and Pato. I'm sure you heard me said Herda and Pato. Yep. Yes, yes, you said Herda, Herda and Pato. I'm sorry, I accidentally pressed the mute on my microphone. Um, you know, we're all prone to do that every now and again. Yes. Uh, but yes, I, and I, when I was picking my fantasy uh, team for Detroit, I went with Palou and Award for races one and two. But since you took Award for race two, I'm going to go ahead and take a Rosenquist just, just for the heck of it. Because, uh, yeah. Yeah. He's got, he's got pre, he's got an, an act of it. It's just a matter of putting consistent finishes. And with below though, he'll, he'll start, he'll have his work cut up for race number one, because he's got a six grid spot penalty for an engine change at the 500. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, at, at the end of the day, with, with a good pitch strategy, I know Detroit mm-hmm. is not the ideal place to make a bunch of passes. But uh, if a, a, as you saw in 2019, if a yellow falls in your on your lap, you might be OK. Might be OK. Yeah. But so, I mean, for, for him, the he's going to have to just qualify the best he can, because if he ends up qualifying mid pack, that's six spots back from there. But if he ends up, you know, if he ends up making it into the fast six, you know, then he's not quite as far back. Uh, you know, to see the, um, see the start finish line. So anyway, speaking of the start finish line, it was Kyle Larson at Sonoma. Uh, wait, is this his second win of the year? Or is his third, third, third. Okay. Back. So we've got, uh, true X and Larson with three apiece as our repeat winners in NASCAR and Bowman uh, so, has two. So there's only three repeat winners, right? Right. Yeah. That's right. I forgot Bowman, uh, picked up a second one. So Louise, you were, uh, you were on the ground, uh, uh, out there covering the um, race at Sonoma. So uh, take it away. Yeah. Compared to most Sonoma races that I've done, that I've covered or attended, I covered two previous ones. I attended as a fan in three of them. This one out of the sunny days, excluding 13, because it was cloudy with a little bit of rain. It was sunny, but not as super warm, like 80 degrees warm. No, like real warm, warm, like hot, like no sweating hot. It was just cool, breezing a little bit. It was cool, 70, about high 70s, so that felt real nice. But the competition was basically Hendrick Motorsport Stranglehold once more. The only one that amounted to be a threat that could stop Hendrick was Martin Truex Jr. He was the only one that seemed like could work his way towards the front. But and stage end, at the end of these stages, that's when some drivers decided to pit, try to do some strategy and all that that kind of denied and halted Truex's momentum. If And with Kyle Larson, it was an easy straight stage wins left and right. Nobody could beat him. Nobody really could beat him. Chase Elliott tried, he couldn't. Joey Logano tried to monitor charge, he couldn't. Truex just got stuck in the t- uh, being out second or third. He didn't lead a lap compared to what he'd done the previous two Sonoma races where he won them both in pretty convincing fashion. And unlike the other Sonoma races that I've done, we've seen in the past couple of years, there was a lot of cautions towards the very end. There was a lot of them to where you had to be, you made me wonder, we talk about how, oh, Larson won the first two stations. I wonder how he's going to lose to this time. We were thinking maybe a late race bump or, or a turn one off of the turn number one, which we don't really see anymore in the cup series compared to back then where we had spins and wrecks or, Jerry Nadeau starting on the front row, 
bends it in the turn number one and loses all this ground. He's all the positions he could on lap one in 98. But Larson just held his own. Nobody could be nobody could be Larson, period. The only one that the only way you were going to beat him if he makes a mistake or he gets in somebody else's mess or pit road woes, which you're not going to see that often with Hendrick, considering what we've seen all season. They've been pretty strong. Pretty, pretty strong. Like Bowman and Dober, they were on it. Larson at Dober, they were not. So you could have, they could have happened either way. It could have been a fast stop for Larson or not so fast one that he could have lost. But yeah, Larson, he finally got it done. He started, he's been on the pole for each Sonoma race since 2017, but this time he finally got it done. Albeit, he started on the pole based on the draw and all the metric systems and all of that wonky, wonky number crap, but wonky done. number crap. <laughs> like, like, you know, all that calculation stuff or oh, I, I know what you mean. I just, I just love your choice of words. Made me smile. Yeah, it's not good, but it was enjoyable. It did got a tid a, a tad bit annoying because it's like good grief. Y'all stop. Y'all stop wrecking for once. It started to feel like uh, all these other NASCAR races towards the very end where we get a caution. Then we have caution, breed cautions left and right. Fortunately, once the whole Ryan Priest, Cody Ware thing happened, it all mellowed out towards the end and Larson was able to get that victory. Fourth win for Hendrick Motorsports, four in a row. Yeah, good for them. So now I gotta, you know, I gotta say this again, we've talked about this before, you know, this is a bit of a redemption season for Kyle Larson, who was pretty much uh, booted away from Ganassi. And he always showed a a lot of potential at Ganassi, um, but putting everything together uh, to get a win at the end of the day, escaped him more than it fell into his lap. Uh, I think now that he's been, you know, with, uh, with the Hendrick team for, well, you know, for, for the bulk of this season, which started back in February, I think he's really hit his stride. He feels comfortable with the team. His engineers feel comfortable with him. I think he's going to be tough to beat down the stretch. And I think he's got Chase Elliott a little nervous. Oh, no question. I was the guy that basically said that he'll probably win one, be bounced out of the first round. I think he may just put himself as a legit title contender that could make it to the championship four. The only reason why I had those doubts is because jumping into a new team, it's the old 48 team. Yes, it's the five, but it's the original, the 40, what was the 48 team. We talked about it many, many times how Hendrick's ancestry has changed to where basically what you see in the numbers are not the same team as you grew up with. Again, let me make this clear. The current five, old 48. The current nine, old 24. Current 24, old five. Current 48, old 88. Got it? I hope oh, no, so. I don't know. You made my head hurt. <laughs> <laughs> I just but, I just try to remember who's currently in what car, right? So, But speaking yeah. of Hendrick, speaking of Hendrick, there's another bit of a news story that's been brewing the last couple of days. And this mm-hmm. is that, this is that um, Jeff Gordon, you know, who, who drove most of his uh, career with Hendrick, um, maybe stepping away from the broadcast booth to take a, a leadership role within that race organization. Well, now, now, Louise, the, the rumors are getting stronger and stronger, but I mean, what kind of a uh, uh, legitimate legs do you think has this story has? I mean, it's been, it's been, you know, whispered in the past uh, or talked about in the past that, uh, uh, you know, Jeff Gordon is going to one day 
inherit the team. You know, he holds the key to the castle, much in the same way that uh, Tim Sidrick will one day, you know, run Penske. But, uh, you know, Jeff's not been active with the team for a number of years. It just seems to me that, 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 you know, we're just gonna, you know, whenever, uh, yeah, whenever, whenever big, big Rick is ready to, uh, you know, pack it in. And, and you know, a lot of these guys that, uh, that are team owners will, you know, into their 70s and 80s still be very active. If you, if you look at some of the old guys out there running teams, like, uh, you know, the aforementioned Mr. Penske. Um, so is this a, uh, a bit of a play, maybe just to, to get Jeff in there, primed and ready to go if and when something like that happens? It's no secret. I mean, people on social media are, are pointing out how bias he's showing for his Hendrick drivers is on the telecast. And obviously, you deal with ethics one on one, like in the media. Okay, it's it's hard not to show bias when the cars are winning left and right. No, I mean, it, it, I mean is it is it bias or is he just speaking the truth? Because because the it's team is well. It's a bit of both. It's a bit of both. Yeah, yeah I was gonna say, yeah, when you know, it's like. If I, if I sit here and say, oh, Lewis Hamilton wins a lot of Formula One races, is that a bias? You know, it's a fact. No, it's a fact. It depends how you express it, how it's evident and it's, you know, but tone and all of that stuff. But that's a different sort of energy. But no, it's no secret. And eventually Rick will hand the keys to Jeff. It's just a matter of if and when that will be. And of course, when that happens, of course, he'll probably have to step aside from the Fox booth and focus on keeping the Hendrick legacy alive, but with his input. I mean, he's been owned. He's been a co-owner of a Hendrick car since 2002 when Johnson was driving. So he's not new to this. Yeah, yeah, he's, yeah, he's not totally out of the picture. He even co-owned a Bush series team with Ray Abraham for a couple of years. But that was a long time ago. But I think as the years go by, I feel like he's more in tune of what's going on. And I imagine the higher ups from Hendrick are keeping him in his ear. or what's like a Hendrick or a Chad Canals and all those folks. But I oh, think yeah, when- I've got, I've got no doubt in my mind that, that Jeff Gordon possesses, you know, the, the knowledge, the intelligence, the, the business sense and, and the racing sense to be successful as a team owner one day. Whether there's no doubt in my mind, the guy has spent his whole life in the sport. You know what I mean? And, and, and even if you, you don't immerse yourself with that business side, what you pick up from sheer osmosis, as long as the guy's been in the sport, you know, he's, he's more qualified than half the guys that own some of the teams out there. Yeah. There's something want to expand right at a gate, like 2311 wants to expand the two cars. Even now track house wants to look into becoming a two car operation, but with, but that's, but I feel like with the Justin Marks, like he has the brains and all of that, the smarts that he'll do a fantastic job. But the question is, they're going to are they jumping the gun too soon with the new car and everything? Do you, I feel like if the decision is going to be made at some point, it's probably going to be this upcoming season with the new car. So Jeff knows what's going on with the new car, make sure everything is equipped because who knows how long Rick is going to stick around. And I feel like if Rick, Rick may not want to be as involved with the new car and learn everything from the from the ground up again compared to the other cars in the past. Because he's got his own business as well with dealership. Oh, certainly, yeah. So, uh, again, like I said, this is a developing story. Now, Richard, you, you have any thoughts on this? Uh, I, I think it's to be expected, isn't it, really? I think it's a natural progression. Um, you know, a guy like Jeff Gordon is is so 
in tune with the sport, even though he's no longer driving. That, and this is no disrespect, he's he can contribute far more to the sport than sat in the uh, you know the box booth there for half the season. I would expect him to uh, to. to to you know, leave Fox and you know, I mean, Fox they can get a, a whole number of different guys to, to to do his job there. Um, you know, you can't get that many people to go into a Hendrick Motorsport and do that job. And with the relationship he's got there, the history he's got there, he's already financially involved with the team. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, I expect it to be a pretty smooth transition for him, really. All right, so uh, Louise, what what other stories we have coming out of uh, NASCAR? We had a the uh, Xfinity guys race in mid-Ohio, did they not? Yes, with A.J. Allmendinger getting it done. Uh, Justin Haley, I think, finished second of that one. Austin Sendrick was in the mix, but he got into some trouble late in the going. Noah Gregson, his terrible season continues. Didn't even make it out of lap one without getting into an incident. He's just been having a terrible season. You want to talk about somebody that's in trouble, Gregson's in trouble as far as getting to that playoffs when you got, when you have like Brandon Brown and Jeremy Clements and Ryan Sieg being consistent, Gregson has been anything but consistent with just bad luck left and right. And in the truck series, if I recall, there was no racing in the truck series. The only thing there was is Arco West with Chase Briscoe dominating that one. He was the only cup guy that made that decided to do double duty. As far as Sonoma is concerned, if we're talking about overall, Cody Ware drove both mid-Ohio and, of course, the cup race at Sonoma the following day. Arca, Ty Gibbs, what else is new? At this moment, the question, when will Ty get the full-time deal? Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, well, yeah. when did we get Ty out of Arca and put him in a, you know what I mean? The guy, the whole first, season, yeah, probably his, next year. His, his first Xfinity start, he wins, you know. He's won at Charlotte, so he's got two wins under his belt already. Yeah, I mean, you, you could call him a you know spoiled rich kid all you want, but my gosh, the kid can drive. He really can. Oh, he's come a long way. There's no question about it. He's come a long way, big time. Just from... you think there's any teams in the Cup Series that would take him, though? Uh, he'll know. be one, one of them, probably one of them Toyota teams. Yeah. We'll see about Cup. I say we'll see about Cup, and I say 23, yeah. He'll probably go full-time Xfinity 22, more than likely. I wouldn't doubt it. But Truck Series will go to Texas. Xfinity also will go to Texas. And then as far as the Cup, it's their all-star race. Okay, but, so what's what's the format for the all-star race this year? Because I, I know we we it, it changes from time to I, time. And, and I haven't I haven't sit down to really look at it in detail. Considering the month that I've had, if we're going from Darlington to Indy to <laughs> Sonoma, I haven't had a full chance to sit down. From what I understood, it's six stages, a lot of inverts, calculations, and all that jazz. And with yeah, Larson I, 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 I read through the thing, and I'm like, my gosh. You know what I mean? The, the, if nothing else, if nothing else, a race should be fan-friendly where we shouldn't have to have a couple of uh, clipboards and, 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 and pens to have a take notes to know what's going on. Yeah, we already do that enough with qualifying and the stage points and all of that stuff. Like who, how many points this guy gets and all of that stuff. Or the current point system as well, it's all convoluted. Sometimes you forget. Like back in the day, you had a formula. You knew what it was. There wasn't this gigantic gap on one side of the points table or vice versa. But this all-star race at Texas, let's just hope it's 
passable because it is Texas with this with this current card we got. I'm not expecting much, but if I'm going to have to pick a winner, I would not be awfully surprised if Austin Dillon actually wins that one. Well, there you go, Richard. Who do you like for the All Star? Oh, jeez! Um, I know what this crazy format. It could be anybody. William Byron. I don't know. Is he in it? I think he's in it. Yes, he? he is. Yes, he is. Yeah. yeah. yeah so yeah, yeah, now we've got one, now we've got the the fan vote, right? Yes, we still have the fan so vote. So how many how many people are in by fan vote? I think it's only one. It's just one. Yeah. yeah. So I saw they they had released who the top five are right now, and they listed them alphabetically. So, uh, uh, you know, which I think I, that's I, a pretty, I, I think, I think one of the drivers there has got a pretty good shoe in, doesn't they? Uh, are, are we talking about, uh, Mr. Darrell Wallace? Yes. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, he's a, I want to count Suarez out of that too, honestly, but I feel yeah. like Suarez could win the stage. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't, you don't know. Three, three, is it three guys that get, that can drive ride in and then one gets the fun vote? Correct. I think Suarez okay. could get one of the stage wins, but if he doesn't, I think I he, don't underestimate some of the international folks. I mean, Noren Katakayan won the most popular driver award for the truck series, and he only drove like five races before being sacked. Huh. <laughs> don't yeah. underestimate the international folks. Yeah, yeah, sure. especially you know, especially with the uh, with the advent of, of the internet and whatnot, anybody can jump on there and vote. So, yeah, but it'll be it'll be interesting to watch. But but again, I, I fear, like I had said before, I fear that they're making it too confusing. You know what I mean? Yeah, I wonder how much legs they've got left in this all star race if they keep doing this. Yeah, I we're mean, talking six stages. You know what I mean? And some of these ridiculous. stages are incredibly short as You're well. You're gonna put a damn loop de loop and a jump in next, aren't you? Yeah, you got six stages. It's Texas. It's a Sunday, not a night race. Yeah, now you'll have like three people watching it. It's gonna be a full full capacity crowd. They're allowing full capacity. Let me make that. Will they sell full capacity tickets? (laughs) Probably not. That's the danger, isn't it? That's the danger they've got right now. Is oh yeah, we're going up to full capacity, and then when they don't have a full capacity, it makes them look stupid. So (laughs) it'll be stupid on everybody involved in SMI. Not so much Eddie Gossage because that's his last day. Yeah, oh, yeah, go. poor boy, Eddie, Eddie, uh, golly. I mean, I got a love hate relationship with Eddie Gossage, man. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, he's, uh, he has been good for the sport and good for the track. And, uh, but, uh, you know, there, there's a guy that I wish well in future endeavors because he's a interesting cat that Eddie Gossage, that's for sure. Yep. But, uh, I mean, that being said, my gosh, we're out of time. So I want to thank you, Richard and Louise. I want to thank the Hoobazoo Radio Network, uh, Spreaker, iHeartRadio. Google Podcast and YouTube. And I want to thank you folks that listen to us every week. Uh, we'll be back in a week uh, to uh, talk about this all star format and the doubleheader in Detroit. But until then, good night. website. 
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.